Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision, by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in, Jesus, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Then we'll continue in chapter 6, verse 10 to 15. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. Well, thank you so much for reading for us, Andy. Uh, please do keep that scripture passage open. We're going to be diving into that. And um, so we are continuing our series in the armor of God. We read Ephesians 2 there to give us a bit of background, but uh, this morning we're particularly looking at the, uh, the readiness of the gospel of, the, of peace. So uh, we're thinking about fitting footwear for the Christian. So before we do, let's uh, bow our heads and let's ask for God's help. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. And thank you for the time that we've already spent together hearing it, singing in response to it, um, hearing assurance from you. Um, Lord, we thank you so much that as we gather, you are with us. And so we pray now that as we consider your word together, that we would hear you speaking, um, that you would give us uh, hearts that respond with faith and obedience. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a few weeks ago, I ordered um, a replacement pair of running shoes. Um, I, won those shoes a few I wore those shoes a few times, and uh, I started to get some pain and discomfort in one of my feet. And so I did a bit of investigating. And I discovered that the two shoes were actually two different sizes. Now, I'm told by pro runners that this is something some people do on purpose if they want a good fit. Uh, that is not me. But uh, in fact, it turned out it was a manufacturer error, and thankfully, they were willing to replace them. 
But it reminded me that having good, uh, well-fitted footwear really matters. And if you're somebody who spends a lot of time on your feet in any given day, then you will know exactly what I mean. And this was definitely true of a Roman soldier in the first century. Uh, the average Roman soldier would march uh, 15 to 20 miles in any day. And I realize this is perhaps a bit of an overstatement, but we might even attribute the success of the Roman Empire to good footwear. Uh, the Roman Caliga was an open, heavy-soled, hobnailed sandal. Uh, and like a good set of truck tires, it was designed to provide the right blend of protection, of durability and comfort to the soldier. In a similar way, the Christian needs to wear the right footwear to live the Christian life. Uh, God tells us, in fact, that we are like soldiers. We're engaged in a conflict, except our conflict is not against a flesh and blood army. No, as we read in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, uh, we wrestle against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That is indeed quite a foe. And therefore, we need to put on the whole armor of God. So far, we've seen that we need to put on the belt of truth. We need to uh, live with a Christian worldview, look at life from a Christian perspective. And we need to put on the breastplate of righteousness. We need to, we need to behave the right way too, responding to what God tells us about how we should live in his word. Uh, but this time, we get to the footwear. In verse 15, we are called as shoes for your feet to put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. But what does that mean? How exactly do we do that? And why is this so vital for our own lives? And why is it vital for the life of the church? Well, the answers to those questions, I believe, can be found as we look back. Each piece of armor here relates to something Paul has already spelled out in his letter to the Ephesians. Remember what I said last week. Throughout this letter, it is as if Paul has been laying down different pieces of armor. This is the truth, he says. This is righteousness. This is the gospel. And now he tells us we should take that up and put it on, like a belt, like breastplate, like shoes, like a shield. In other words, standing firm means living all of these things out, living in light of them. And so when Paul speaks about the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace, we need to ask a few questions. Now, what has Paul taught about the gospel of peace? How does that gospel of peace make us ready or prepared? And when we answer those questions from Ephesians, what I think we get to is this. This is the bottom line. This is the right footwear for the Christian. We need to recognize that Jesus has purchased peace for us. And therefore, we need to be ready to pursue peace and to proclaim peace. We need to recognize that Jesus has purchased peace for us. And therefore, we need to be ready to pursue peace with one another, but also proclaim peace to the world. In fact, these are our three points today. Uh, firstly and foundationally, Jesus has purchased peace for us. Uh, that is what he did on the cross. And so, secondly, we should be ready to pursue peace, particularly in our relationship with other believers. And then thirdly, we should be ready to proclaim peace. Uh, that is, we should be ready to proclaim the gospel of peace to a world that desperately needs it. And so let's uh, work through those things in turn. Firstly, let's think of how Jesus has purchased peace for us. And that ultimately is the gospel of peace. It is a gospel about peace. It is an announcement, an announcement of how through his death and resurrection, Jesus has brought true reconciliation. As we read in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14, Ephesians 2, 14, Jesus himself is 
our peace. And that word uh, translated peace uh, is uh, the Greek word from which we get the word irenic. Uh, but the Greek word uh, actually translates an Old Testament word uh, in the Old Testament, uh, the Greek Old Testament, the word familiar to some of us perhaps, that is the word shalom. And people make an awful lot of this word shalom, perhaps sometimes making too much of it. But the key thing to understand about this word peace is that it means a lot more than just the end of war. Uh, The word suggests the idea of wholeness. It means everything being put back in its proper place. Uh, Peace is what we were made for in the beginning. Uh, But peace has been elusive ever since sin entered the world. Uh, But as we've already said, God promises peace. In other words, he promises that one day everything is going to be restored. Uh, And what we see here in Ephesians is that Jesus came to bring that peace. In fact, this is what it means that he's the Christ. He is the peacemaker promised there in Isaiah chapter 11. In fact, maybe you recognize some of the armor there as Jesus puts on a belt and uh, as he robes himself in armor to save his people, to bring peace to the world. Uh, But there are two important things to highlight, I think, about this peace that Christ gives. Uh, Firstly, by peace, we're referring referring to something that is objective rather than subjective. It's, It's objective rather than subjective. And secondly, it is a peace that has two dimensions. It is vertical, relating to our our relationship with God, but also horizontal. It it concerns our relationships with one another. Firstly, this peace is an objective thing. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean by that is this word peace is not primarily referring to some sort of inner feeling. The point is not that the gospel is simply about how we can feel good about ourselves or about the world, even when things are going really badly. No, rather, this word peace refers to an outward state of affairs. For example, imagine you had not read the news recently. You might feel at peace about the situation in Ukraine. Well, that's okay. You can feel however you wish. But if you do read the news, you'll realize that objectively, for the people of Ukraine, there is no peace. The war is still being waged on the ground. A true peace would mean not just a good feeling within, but an end to war. And more than that, a whole lot of rebuilding. And in the same way, the gospel of peace addresses a real, objective war. Uh, And as it does, it does so in these two dimensions, two directions. Uh, This is the second thing we need to see. It is objective, yes, but but in addition, it it has this vertical dimension. It relates to our relationship with God, but it also has a horizontal dimension. It it concerns our relationships with one another. Uh, Firstly, the gospel of peace addresses our conflict with God himself. Uh, You see, the Bible teaches uh, that all of us, by nature, are estranged from God. Uh, This has been true ever since Eden. In fact, this is one of the ways we can think about the very first sin. Uh, By eating the forbidden fruit, it isn't just that Adam and Eve broke a rule. No, Adam and Eve were declaring war on the God who made them. And that is why Romans 5.10 can uh, tell us that before we come to Christ, we are enemies, enemies of God. Or in the language of Ephesians 2, verse 12, why don't you turn back there, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12. In Ephesians 2, verse 12, we see how things were before Jesus came. We see that we were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise. And and then listen to this, having no hope and without God in the world. Summing it up, Paul says that we were far off. That is, we were distant from God. Uh, The point is not really that we felt distant. Maybe we had no feelings about God at all. But the truth is we actually were distant. Our sin, our rebellion against God had created a real barrier. And it went both ways. 
on the one hand, our sin made us hostile toward God. And yet sin also brings us under God's wrath and judgment. There is enmity, enmity with God and humanity apart from Jesus. But here is the amazing thing. Here is the gospel. Here is the gospel of peace. That even when we were far off, even when we were enemies of God, God didn't abandon us. God did not crush us. No, from all eternity, he had a plan in place, a plan to bring peace. And in time, he executed that plan, that plan through the, the arrival, the coming of the Lord Jesus. Now, to reconcile us to himself, God became man. In the person of his son, God uh, came himself to pay the price for our rebellion. Uh, he was crushed for us. Uh, and as we read in verse 16, Jesus came to reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. At the cross, he bore the hostility, the enmity of God on our behalf. And in doing so, he brought peace, true peace, real peace, vertical peace, we could say, peace between man and God. And so if you trust in Christ, you have peace with God. And we have to say, this is not always how we feel. At times, we can feel as if our sin stands between us and God. But when we feel that way, in one sense, that just isn't true. In Christ, God has taken those sins away. And so there is this glorious gospel, this good news of peace with God through Jesus Christ. Uh, this is the vertical dimension, but, but this peace also has a horizontal uh, dimension. Uh, you see, ever since Eden, uh, the history of humanity has been a history of war. It started with the very first murder with brother against brother, Cain killing Abel. But really, that has just set the pattern for history ever since. It's played out again and again, not just in war, uh, but in all kinds of conflict. Conflict in our families, conflict in our nation, conflict between nations, even conflict within a church. And we're a world at war. And not only war with God, but, but by turning away from him, we turn on one another. And Jesus came to deal with this problem too. In other words, the cross not only reconciles man to God, but Jesus makes peace between man and man. He, he brings us together through the gospel. And this is clearly the point of Ephesians chapter 2, 11 through 22, that, that Andy read for us. Uh, look, especially at the language here of, of, of both and made one, we see this idea again and again. Look down at verse 14, and you'll see what I mean. Ephesians 2, verse 14. For Jesus himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. He did this by abolishing the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Now, what is Paul talking about here with all of this making both one and things like that? Well, we, to understand that, we have to grasp something of the history. Uh, Paul is explaining how Christ tore down the big dividing wall. A wall, in fact, when you read the Bible, a wall that God himself had erected. Uh, Jesus came to destroy the big divide in history in the Old Testament, that divide between Jew and Gentile. Uh, backtracking a moment, we said that from eternity God had a plan that is fulfilled in Christ, but that plan was, uh, that plan was unfolded in time throughout human history. Uh, we see it in God's promise to Abraham. And then we see it in the way that he fulfills that promise through his special covenant with the nation of Israel. 
that Israel were God's people, his treasured possession in all of the earth. They were the ones who received the promise of peace. They were the ones who received the promise of this, this peacemaking Messiah who would come and bring peace on earth. And now most of us here today are Gentiles. We are non-Jews. And so we were not God's people. Those were not our promises. They didn't belong to us. And we often make this mistake, don't we? We read the Old Testament and we, we read ourselves into it. But did you know that were you there at the time of David and Goliath, you would have been on Goliath's side, not on the side of David. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2.11 puts it so well, doesn't it? As Paul stresses this horizontal dimension. He says, therefore, remember at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Those are very vivid images, aren't they? Aliens, strangers, outsiders. I mean, do you recognize this, that, uh, that by nature you have no right to God's promises? Uh, you were excluded from God's people. Uh, he dwelt, dwelt in that temple in Jerusalem, and as a Gentile, you just, just couldn't come in. Uh, but verse 13 continues, didn't it? Now, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one uh, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now, there's so much more we could say about this, I think. And my main point this morning is not to provide a, a full exposition of Ephesians chapter 2. And no, the point really is to get the background to see what Paul means by the gospel of peace there in Ephesians chapter 6. And this really is the key point that through the cross, Jesus brings peace with God, yes, but through the cross, Jesus also reconciles Jew and Gentile together. He provides one new way, making in himself one new kind of man so that now in Christ there is not Jew and Gentile, but there's a new creation, a, a new kind of person, the kind of person we call a Christian. And so the gospel of peace, yes, brings people to God, but it also brings all kinds of people together. Uh, people who by nature would have been apart. People who even by God's own design in the Old Testament would have been excluded from his own historic people. And so the point is, surely, the gospel of peace that makes peace not just between us and God, but between us and one another. Uh, and this is not a feeling of peace. Often we don't feel at peace. No, it's an objective peace. An objective peace that is both vertical and horizontal. And maybe this is stretching the analogy a bit, but I think it's important that we wear both shoes here. We need both of these shoes on our feet. We need to recognize both our peace with God and our peace with one another. And to miss any one of these, I think, will inevitably cause us to stumble. In fact, if we stress only our peace with God, well, we'll have very little time for the church. Instead, it will be just life with me and Jesus, walking along with him, but forgetting my brothers and sisters. And in the same way, to recognize reconciliation with one another, but not with God, well, that is a huge mess. It leads us to what we could call a kind of social Christianity. Uh, or I heard somebody call it churchianity just recently. You see, the big problem with humanity isn't that we can't just get along. No, the problem is that we're estranged from the God who made us. That really is the source of all of our other conflicts. And yet here is the good news, the gospel of peace, that in Christ God has brought peace. Jesus himself is our peace. 
We need to remember that Jesus has purchased peace for us on the cross. Uh, that, is, that is the gospel of peace. That's what we need to put on our feet, so to speak. But, but how do we do that? And, and how does putting that gospel on our feet make us ready? Uh, what is this readiness that comes from the gospel of peace? Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Paul actually doesn't so much describe the gospel as shoes for our feet as the readiness that comes from it. And so we have to ask ourselves, for what does the gospel make us ready? And in answering, to that, answering that question, we see once again, I think, that the armor of God isn't just some sort of unusual ethereal thing. No, it is a very, very practical thing that Paul is asking for here. You see, in Ephesians, not only does Paul explain the gospel of peace in Ephesians chapter 2, but he also tells us how we live that gospel out. Uh, Jesus has purchased peace, yes, but this moves us, I think, to our second point. In response, the gospel of peace leads us to pursue peace with one another. Pursue peace with one another. In other words, the gospel of peace is something that should move us. It's something that should motivate us. It should move us and motivate us to deal with conflict when we have it with our brothers and sisters. This is called to pursue peace is something we see throughout this letter, especially there in chapter 4. You see, in chapters 1 through 3, Paul lays out this glorious gospel of peace, everything that God has done for us. And then in chapter 4, he calls us to walk in a manner worthy of this great gospel. And the first thing he says off the bat relates to peace, doesn't it? In fact, walking in a way that, that recognizes our calling in Christ means pursuing peace. In other words, he wants us to work on our relationships. If you haven't already turned there, turn back and look with me at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2. At what is a lifestyle in keeping with the gospel of peace? What does it mean to put this on your feet? Well, we read it is to walk with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And why should we do this? Well, because we're eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That is eager to live out of the new reality that is true of us because of Christ. In fact, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. There's, a, there's certainly an assumption there, isn't there? If I told you to maintain your car, what would the assumption be? Well, it would be that you have a car to maintain, wouldn't it? If we are to maintain our unity, what's the assumption? Well, the assumption is that we have unity. And remember, this is what the gospel of peace says. Just as we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, so also we have peace with one another as fellow believers. In one sense, we could never be more united or at peace than we already are. In fact, let me say that again because it's hard to believe, isn't it? We will never be more united or at peace than we currently are. We are one in Christ. In fact, Paul says this down there in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. And there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And that is the reality that Jesus has brought about through the gospel of peace. Uh, but we have to admit, don't we, that this doesn't really always feel like it's true, does it? Uh, but it is true. Jesus has made peace. And so what does that mean? Well, it means acting with all humility. It means acting with gentleness. It means acting with patience. It means bearing with one another in love. And there's an assumption there, isn't there? That we're going to have to have something to bear with. And again, this is very, very practical, isn't it? How do we put on the readiness 
of the gospel of peace. Well, in light of the gospel, with God's help, we try our best to get along with one another. When people offend us, when they sin against us, when they disappoint us. In other words, when they act like the sinful people they are, we need to strive to be patient with them, to be humble toward them, to love them, and to listen to them. Why? Because they're people to whom we've been reconciled already through the Lord Jesus. They are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we have to admit we all fail in this, don't we? When we're sinned against, we tend to respond with sin. And so we fall out, relationships break down, the church is so often marked by disunity. And this surely is one of the devil's key strategies. This is how he attacks, isn't it? Divide and conquer. And this is why we need the full armor of God. This is why we need not just the belt of right belief and the, the breastplate of right behavior, but we need to have shoes uh, of the gospel of peace. We need to be ready to pursue reconciliation whenever that is necessary. And Jesus has purchased peace for us, and so we need to be ready to maintain, ready to pursue that peace with one another. I mean, is there anyone you need to pursue peace with today? Is there anyone you need to call this afternoon? Uh, anyone you need to speak with after the service? And perhaps it's going to take a bit more work than that. Maybe you need help working for peace. Uh, maybe it will take a lot of prayer and a lot of patience. But we have to say it's worth it. Uh, why? Because it reflects a glorious reality that we have peace through the Lord Jesus Christ. He has purchased our peace. Uh, Jesus has made peace. And so we need to pursue peace with one another. Uh, but in addition, we also have a third point as well. Uh, yes, the gospel of peace makes us ready to pursue peace, but also we find that the gospel also makes us ready to proclaim peace to the world. Uh, and what I'm talking about here, of course, is evangelism, uh, explaining the good news of Christ to people who don't know it. Uh, this surely is part of what we mean by the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In fact, you could translate that verse this way, uh, that we should be ready with the gospel of peace. In other words, we should be ready to share the gospel. We should be ready to share the peace that God has brought us with others. Like a Roman soldier marching out to war with, uh, with those uh, special shoes, we need to be ready to take up the gospel and prepare to engage a world of war with the only source of peace, with the only news of the one who can bring it. I mean, this makes sense, doesn't it? If peace is what the world needs. Peace with God, peace with man. Uh, and if Jesus is the only source of true peace, how can we just sit on that and keep it to ourselves? Uh, we need to proclaim peace. In fact, back in chapter 2, this is what Christ himself does. We find not only does Christ make peace, but look at chapter 2, verse 17. Uh, here we're told uh, what Jesus Christ did. It says there that he came and preached peace. Uh, peace to those who are far off and peace to those who are near. And now what is amazing, I think, is where that verse comes in the story. Uh, that verse implies uh, not that Jesus preached peace in his earthly ministry, in his earthly life, but no, Jesus came and preached peace after he had died and rose again and ascended. In what sense did Jesus Christ come and preach peace? Well, we're told in the next verse he did it by his spirit, through his word. In fact, he did this firstly through the apostles, as we read in the book of Acts. Remember how the book of Acts starts? Uh, it, it really it tells us that Jesus is continuing his work in his risen glory. And remember how Acts ends. In the end of the book of Acts, it's as if the baton is passed. Uh, the call is given for us to continue the mission and ministry of Christ in the world. 
And so we can say Christ continues to preach peace. And so how does he do it? Well, he does it now through his church. He does it through us in the world. And Jesus continues his work of preaching peace by equipping us to be his witnesses. He does this by his spirit empowering us to speak. And so the gospel of peace should move us. It should make us eager to share the gospel of peace. Uh, what we've received from Christ, we should be eager to pass along to others. In a world of conflict, of war, of pain. I mean, it might seem an arrogant claim, but, but Christians have the answer. Uh, of course, it isn't arrogant because it's not about us. It's not as if we think we're the answer. No, uh, the answer is the Lord Jesus Christ. He alone is the hope of peace for the nations. And this idea of proclaiming peace lies very much in the background of Ephesians 6. Uh, you see, this idea of readiness to proclaim the gospel of peace doesn't actually start with Paul's letter to the Ephesians. In fact, maybe you've heard it before. Let me read to you from the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 52, verse 7. Uh, there we read these words. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news. And uh, what is the good news that he brings? Well, he publishes peace who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. Now, I, for one, find it impossible to believe that Paul did not have that verse in mind when he wrote about the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Uh, when he speaks about feet, about good news, about peace, he must have had in mind what we read there in Isaiah. Uh, he wants us to publish peace, to bring good news of happiness, to publish salvation, to proclaim uh, that God reigns to a lost and broken world. Now, what an awesome responsibility. What an amazing privilege that we have. And yet we have to say, is this not yet another way that the enemy constantly attacks the church? He attacks our feet, we could say. He causes us to grow weary of doing good. He causes us to become passive and apathetic. He causes us to doubt the power of the gospel to help the broken world. In fact, he often tempts us to try on other shoes, other shoes that, that at times we feel might fit the problem a little bit better. And what I mean is how easily we fall for the temptation to try to bring peace in other ways, uh, to try to pursue peace in ways other than through Christ's gospel. In fact, it's as if we look at the problems of the world, wars, division, deception, and then we look down at our feet uh, we look at the rough terrain ahead and we just aren't sure that the gospel Christ has given us is really going to cut it. And so we wonder, maybe we should change our shoes. Maybe there is footwear that is better suited to the problems of the 21st century than a 2,000-year-old gospel. And for example, it can be tempted to look at the, the historic problem of division, division over race, over politics, over, over socioeconomic classes, and instead of the gospel, we try on other shoes, maybe the shoes of critical theory or neo-Marxism or, or some other uh, contemporary theory we think will deal with the problems of the world. We start to recast the problems of the world. Uh, we start to believe the problem is not that we're estranged from God. No, instead, the problem must be some sort of class struggle. Uh, we don't like the way the shoes of the gospel fit, so we try on something else. And if it's not that, if it's not neo-Marxism, then maybe it's some sort of neo-fascism or neo-nationalism instead. And to be clear, we have to say some people truly are oppressed, so we need to deal with that. And loving our neighbor really does, seeking what is does mean seeking what is best for the nation. But what I'm highlighting is this. There are false gospels out there, 
false ways to pursue that elusive thing called peace. Uh, And it will remain elusive until we realize it can only be found in one place. Jesus is the only way to peace with God. And Jesus is the only one who can reconcile us to one another. Uh, The shoes we need are the readiness of the gospel of peace. Uh, There is no upgraded design uh, of our shoes for the 21st century. Uh, No, we're still wearing these same sandals that we read about here in Ephesians chapter 6. For over 2,000 years, the gospel has worked and will continue to work. Uh, The gospel of peace is like that soldier's sturdy leather shoes. The gospel of peace will help us navigate the rough terrain of life. Uh, The gospel helps us to keep going, to keep pressing on, uh, to keep going through the daily march. Uh, Without the gospel, uh, our feet will be torn to shreds. We won't be able to go on. Uh, We'll be paralyzed by spiritual blisters. And so don't forget to put on your feet the readiness that comes from the true gospel of peace. Jesus has purchased peace for us, and so let's pursue peace with one another, and let's proclaim his peace to the world. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much uh, that you have brought peace for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Thank you that he himself is our peace, uh, who has made us one and has reconciled us to you in his body. And Lord, we confess to you uh, how often we are not made ready by that gospel. How often we allow relationships to break down. Instead of proclaiming your gospel, we proclaim some other hopeless message. And so, Lord, give us confidence in the power of the gospel to reconcile us to you and to one another. And may we pursue peace. May we proclaim peace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.